Welcome back in another edition of Night Shift episode 10. Mike, we are in the double digits here and a lot of news and stories that we got to break down. First of all, thank you very much for listening on with the show 10, uh, 10 episodes in and you can listen to previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are up at globalnews.ca as well. We also share the podcast on our socials. That is at Stubbs980 and at Cal Grimard. And, you know, as I mentioned, Mike, a lot of news to get to. Some games that took place over the weekend, a little bit of a, a ceremony as the London Knights announced their leadership group. For the remainder of the 2022-23 season, we're also going to discuss an OHL debut for Sam O'Reilly and getting Isaiah George back in the lineup as well. We will hear from George Diaco and from Sean McGurn, who were named the co-captains. But Mike, we'll start with you here. You know, it's it's there's a lot to unfold today in the episode. There absolutely is. You know what? It was a great ceremony that was held at the Labatt Amber Lounge. This has become tradition. The team gets introduced. They come into the room, and then the captains are introduced last. And the Knights, for the third time since 2015-2016, have co-captains. We'll hear from them later in the episode. They've had some really good luck when they've had co-captains. Think about this. 2015-2016, it was Mitch Marner and Christian Dvorak, and the Knights won the Memorial Cup. In 2019-2020, it was Liam Foody and Alec Regula, and the Knights were poised to go on a long run before COVID-19 shut down the season. Now we see what happens with Sean McGurn, who's been a knight for life, and George Diaco, who came back to his hometown to play for the London Knights. And he'll tell a story a little later on about getting to Budweiser Gardens as a youngster, just about eight years old, nine years old, and actually getting into some autograph lines to get autographs from Bo Horvat and Max Domi. And while he was telling that story, he actually was handed a hat by a young fan and he signed his own autograph as he's telling this story at the Amber Lounge. Oh my gosh. I I always love when stories like that come around because you get a sense in a in into just those little personal interactions and relationships between the fans and players and whatnot. And now I, I I'm a very big fan of, uh, you know, of the two individuals that were chosen. We'll, we'll discuss that in just a couple minutes, but you know, Mike, it was a weekend of two different tales, you know, on Friday, the London Knights go in at home, they play the Erie Otters and they drop a six to three contest. You know, there were some positives. Logan Mayu had two goals. George Diaco had a couple of assists as well. Five power play goals between the two clubs. And I think special teams ultimately decided that game for the London Knights. They did. And it was a game where the Erie Otters had come in hot and the Otters kept that heat going. They ended up losing the very next night. But it was a game where I think the Knights were able to look at that one and say, okay, you know, some things went well. Power play, great. Other things, maybe not as well. And they went into Owen Sound and played probably their best game of the season, where they executed a game plan where they, again, were up against a really hot team. The Owen Sound attack had won three in a row. They'd won seven of eight. They had the night off on Friday, so they were just waiting for the Knights to arrive. 
and the Knights really executed well, took care of the Bayshore bounce, which Owen Sound tried to make use of a few times in the game. You don't know what the Bayshore bounce is. You really owe it to yourself to take a trip to Owen Sound and see a game at the Harry Lumley Bayshore Community Center. As you walk in, there are some old pads, and I mean, these are getting really old. They're behind a glass case, and they're Harry Lumley's pads, and they seem to get smaller and smaller every year, and you look at them, and you think, that actually used to stop pucks in the national hockey league you had to put one of those on your leg well it's true it did but the bayshore bounce means you can take a puck and it seems like you could softly flip it off the end boards and it would immediately bounce right in front of the net and that sort of thing happens and owen sound knows how to make use of that nick suzuki was a master of this he could do it for himself he would get across the red line fire a puck off the end boards and then beat a defenseman to it or another defender would do it. So sometimes they would even fire it from their own zone. Suzuki would be bolting and it would go off the end boards and Suzuki would just corral it and snap it on goal. And a lot of times when he was shooting, it went in. So this is something that's been around for a long, long time. It's something you always have to take advantage of. Visiting goaltenders, never big fans of the Bayshore bounce. Brett Brochu was tremendous on Saturday night, and the Knights get a 4-1 win. You know, and Mike, this also avenges a 7-2 loss earlier this season at the Bayshore. And you've got you've to think that, you know, Dale Hunter and Dylan Hunter and this coaching staff – really prepared this team and reminding them, hey, last time when we went in there, things didn't go our way. And you can definitely tell they made adjustments. And what I was really impressed with, Mike, was the fact that most of the damage done for the Knights in this game came in the first period, which finished off uh, at a late goal of the, of the first period by Max McHugh, his second of the period and of the game. And really, after that point, the Knights kind of held together, shut it down, didn't really give Owen Sound an opportunity to get back in. And credit that goes to Brett Brochu, who was the first star of the game. But then it just got added on to afterwards with a third period goal by Easton Cowan. But the Knights taking a lead in the first period and then not relinquishing it was a big story to me. Absolutely huge. And if you look at the difference between that first game in Owen Sound where the Knights lost 7-2 and this one where they won 4-1, Owen Sound still scored the first goal of this game, and it came off a Bayshore bounce. There was a shot that actually hit off the side of the net, went wide, went off the end boards, and then came right out to Madden Steen, and he put it home, and Owen Sound was up one nothing. That didn't seem to rattle London. It seemed to actually invigorate them and they were hungry and and they got things going back and credit Sean McGurn Sean McGurn and George Diaco are both on six game point scoring streaks right now we talked earlier that they're the co-captains but Sean McGurn took a puck down low went one way took a hit and turned off it beautifully so he absorbed the hit fed a puck out front to Jackson Edward that shot didn't go in but there was McGurn again still doing that dirty work down low got the puck back in front of Jackson Edward a second time and the Knights ended up scoring and that started it off. And then McGurn to McHugh. And it, it was just a great veteran play where that shorthanded goal that you referenced, Kyle, where Sean McGurn basically passed the puck off the pads of the Owen sound goalie, Corbin votary right to Max McHugh. He knocks in his second of the game. McHugh had already scored by digging a puck out of a pile in front. And so the Knights scored the goals that they had to score. And you can really see that 
relaxed offense coming in, that ability of players who are are just going to go into those dirty areas and they're going to score. The game has changed a bit. We talked in the last episode of Night Shift about how the game changes after the first 10 games of an OHL season. Dylan Hunter weighed in on that and how it does become more structured. That's the kind of hockey that the Knights excel at. And Kyle, I've got to tell you a story about before the game. So we're in Owen Sound and in the scout and media room, there are five scouts sitting around a table. And they're just talking themselves. They're not looking around the room to see who is there. One of the scouts says, you know, I always like watching the London Knights this year. I've seen them a few times. And the scout says, because you never quite know what you're going to get. And another scout immediately pipes up. He says, no, I find the same thing right now. But he says, you know, they're going to be there at the end because they're so well coached. And they are so well-developed. And that was something that, again, was unsolicited. Just some coaches, some scouts talking openly. And it wasn't like they were talking quietly. Anybody in the room heard that. But that's the thing that you know about the Knights. They're well-coached. They develop their players well. And when that structure really takes hold, what did Dylan call it? The first 10 games are basically paint by number. You do whatever you think works. The players have a little bit more freedom. And sometimes you'll see teams get off to these big starts and then those teams cool off a little bit and it starts going into all right how is everybody buying into what you want to do and how you want to play and if the Knights play like they did against Owen Sound on a consistent basis they're gonna be a tough team to beat maybe the biggest factor in that game as well the first game which they lost 7-2 Colby Barlow had four points two goals and two assists this past weekend no goals no assists minus two on the night When you keep a guy like that, their captain, to nothing's on the scoreboard, it's going to benefit you significantly. And it clearly did on Saturday as the Knights were able to pick up a win to finish it off. And now there's even more news coming out. So, of course, the London Knights yesterday, they held a, a bit of a press conference and made the announcement that overagers Sean McGurn and George Diaco will lead the way this season as co captains for the remainder of the 2022-23 year and Mike you said you were going to be going and I said all right you got any thoughts you got any uh, predictions as to who you think it would be and you said well Sean McGurn took a ceremonial face-off earlier so maybe he was the one in mind but after that you had no idea no no and the fact that the Knights have named co-captains this works out beautifully because you've got Sean McGurn who is the oldest serving London Knight right now. So he's been with this organization since the start of his career. Third round pick, did not play as a 16-year-old, was one of those players. And how often have we seen this, where he went and played with the St. Thomas Stars for a year, had an excellent year, and then came in as a 17-year-old and was still coming along slowly. He didn't play all 68 games, but the Knights grew and developed him, and you look at the things that he has learned to do. And I just talked about his play down low and being able to spin off hits and buy time for players to get into scoring lanes. He does that so effectively. And then George Diaco coming to his hometown and coming from a team. What did we talk about when George Diaco was first acquired? Coaches can tell players, here's how you have to play. And as much as those coaches know, here's how you have to play, sometimes it's easier to really appreciate what it takes when you see somebody 
who raises their level to the level of winning a championship game after game after game. George Diaco is that guy. He's never. I've got, taken I have actually. I've got a story here, kind of similar to that. When Philip Heedle of the New York Rangers was in his first or second year, he was struggling a little bit out of the gate, and the coaching staff went over to him, and they had just acquired and re-signed Mika Zibanejad, and Heedle was was trying to figure it all out, and the coaching staff went up to Heedle and said, "You want to be a more effective player." Go watch Mika Zibanejad. That's the type of guy we think you can be, and that's the type of player we want you to be. And ever since last year on a great playoff run by the Rangers, one of their most impactful players was their third-line center, Philip Heedle, because he started adapting his game to his teammates, Mika Zibanejad's. Hey, that is perfect. That is exactly the kind of thing that good coaches will do. And when you look at a player who is being developed, Every once in a while, they'll need to be a healthy scratch. And sometimes that bothers the player more than anything because that means I'm not good enough to get into the lineup. But as long as the coach is communicating, this is why you are being held out of the lineup. We want you to watch this player. We want you to watch this happen and then go out and execute it. That player tends to take that healthy scratch which unfortunately you know has a negative connotation to it and turn it into something really positive well we've seen that too in in, in the ontario hockey league level and the national hockey league level where yeah it's not necessarily a it's it's not a negative towards the player but it's just kind of a reset your mind go watch from the press box go get a perspective of watching from afar watch the little intangibles that happen on the ice and then go apply them to your game you know we've seen this with with countless players especially younger players too where they get a sense of one how fast the game is two the little things that make the biggest jump from when you're playing bantam or triple a hockey and all of a sudden you're jumping up and playing at the junior level how much of a difference those little things make and you're right. Like it's when you when those players get a get a chance to go out and, and look from afar, they then take that as a okay, I'm not I'm not playing at the level I'm capable of. Now it's almost like a fire is lit under that player. They go out and then they perform at a way higher level than they were pre- previously. And wearing that C as McGurn and Diaco will do, that's one of the things that presents a whole lot of fire in a different way. And it's actually the first thing that we started talking with them about what it means to look down. Because as they were introduced at the Labatt Amber Lounge, all of the players came in wearing their night sweaters. And then you look down and those C's are on those jerseys. And you think about, all of the past captains that the London Knights have had, so many of them have gone on to great success, not just in the NHL, but just in, in leadership roles, whatever it happens to be. Dylan Hunter is a past captain of the London Knights. He's now essentially a leader in a different way on the team as an assistant coach. And then Luke Evangelista from last year was a tremendous captain. We've already chronicled the ones before him. So Sean McGurn just talks about what it was like. He actually takes us back to his first memory of becoming a London Knight to truly (laughs) appreciate where he is now. But uh, as the years went on, yeah, it was, it's cool to be the captain now. 
George, you started your career in London in minor hockey. You go to Hamilton, win a championship. Now you come back. What is it like to wear the C for the London Knights? It's a true honor. Um, it's, it's really hard to put words to it. It's, I've been watching these guys for a long time now, and I'm always in that building and with the fans and everything. It's, just, it's a true honor to be part of this team and to wear the C as well. What would be your first memory of the London Knights? It goes way back. I've been going to games since I was, I'd say, eight years old. So it's, it's been a long time coming, and it's awesome. All right, so if we do that math, that was about 2010. So that, that was a good time to be coming to the games. A couple of years later, some back-to-back championships. Do you have any memories of those teams? Um, I think when it was the, the big players like Marner, Domi, Dvorak, all those guys, I remember getting autographs, and I thought it was the best feeling ever. So, so there you were in line for autographs. Now you're the guy... George just signed an autograph. Sean just signed an autograph a minute or two ago. Sean, how about the job that you and George now share? What does a captain do on an OHL team? I think it starts by leading by example, doing all the little things right, and uh, having your teammates back and making sure everyone's comfortable and uh, ready to work every night. Is it George as much off the ice as it is on the ice? Yeah, for sure. I think most of it's off the ice, just uh, setting a good example for the younger guys. Um, I ended up winning a championship last year, so I can just have my experience and show all the guys what it takes. Do you look at any particular players, Sean, as being leaders, whether it's at the NHL level or guys you've played with to say, I learned a lot from that guy? Uh, Even my former teammate, Luke Evangelista, I learned a lot from him. He was a good captain for us, so uh, try to take some of his habits and use them again this year. George, you were part of the leadership group last year being a 19-year-old, but what do you think that group, what what was the role in getting you guys over whatever adversity you faced in getting to where you did? Yeah, I think a lot started with our captain, Colton Cameron. It was when he... When he spoke, everyone listened, and it was just—it was a big respect thing. Everyone listened when he talked, and we all respected him, and everything worked out. Guys, congratulations! Thank you, appreciate Thanks. it. George Diaco and Sean McGurn, co-captains of the London Knights, and that is the Knights' leadership group. We've had fans already asking about alternate captains. It does not appear that the Knights will have alternate captains, but they've got so many de facto leaders that are willing to step up and remember that game that they were playing where they fell behind two nothing to Saginaw they went into the room between the first period and the second period and you had players stepping up this doesn't mean that Diaco and McGurn are going to do all the talking they've got a lot of guys who are vocal and teams that are vocal teams that can hold each other to accountability are teams that have bright futures and the Knights have that in their room right now they've told us about it yeah and I just I love how tight-knit it already seems that they are that they've had multiple guys stepping up in the room and and discussing things and keeping each other accountable which is that goes a long way and that also continues on to where some of these guys who are drafted by nhl teams you know you look at max McHugh and other players who are already draft picks of the national hockey league and maybe it was McHugh, maybe it was other players but those intangibles those come up with you to the other levels of hockey that you play. And even in other aspects of life too, when you are a leader, whether you are in a boardroom, whether you are with a group of people and you need someone to step up and take that leadership role. And that's a really good, good thing to have amongst a locker room in the Ontario hockey league. And a lot of younger players end up learning about those things too. And one of those players made his debut on Friday, Mike, and that is second round selection, Sam O'Reilly. He debuted Friday night uh, against the Erie Otters. Wasn't a win. Didn't get a didn't get a point. But he was creating some offense. He had a couple shots on net. 
the main thing I think that stood out, Mike, is it looked like he belonged. He looked like an OHL prospect. He did. And that's what you want. And look at how he's been playing for the London Nationals. This guy is picking up almost two points per game as a 16-year-old on a really good team. They've got a really, really good team. You can check them out at home on Wednesdays, and you'll get a chance to see guys like Sam O'Reilly. And then there are other prospects sprinkled throughout the league that you can check out. So that's a real positive for him. And the other neat thing was Dale Hunter tried him out on defense a couple of shifts because Sam O'Reilly played defense in his minor hockey career. And we actually talked to him about his debut and about making that transition and where he sees himself going forward. Well, I found out I was actually playing playing video games with a couple of boys. We got the text, found out at night, and uh, called my parents right away, told them the news, got them some tickets, and they came down here, and it was just all-around great experience. So, stepping out onto the ice for the first time, something you've been shooting for for a while, what was the first shift like? I think there was a dump-in involved. Yeah, I mean, I got the puck nerves going crazy <laughs> didn't want to turn it over so i just threw it in got off that's good you got a deep right yeah, exactly that's all that matters yeah. <laughs> the little things that yeah. matter what are you going to take away from last night what are you going to remember uh seeing all the fans i mean everybody wearing the night's jerseys is pretty amazing and the feeling stepping out there is pretty surreal just you know hoping to be out there again soon you took a couple shifts on D as well. You used to be a defenseman until what age? So minor midget was my first year at forward. So this is my second year at forward now. So, you know, I'm pretty, I like to say I'm a good backward skater still. So whenever they need me, they can throw me back there. So how did you make the transition at that age? Well, I was kind of always an offensive defenseman. So my coach just we talked about it for a while actually and then COVID came and we we're kind of thinking about it and he just wanted me on forward and so far it's been great. Talk to us about what it's been like with the Nationals because the points you have, you're almost at two points per game. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Those guys help me out a lot and it's it's been a good process for me. It's been good for my hockey, getting a lot of minutes down there, playing well. So and we're winning as well, so that's always a good thing. Well, congratulations on game number one in the OHL and keep everything up that you're doing this year. Yeah, thanks so much. Sam O'Reilly getting himself set for his OHL career. This year, the way that things are structured, he can play 10 games in the OHL for the Knights before the London National season ends. That's essentially how it's set out because you've got player cards and we're not going to get into the particulars of that. It gets kind of convoluted and uh, a little boring. But right now, Sam O'Reilly can play 10 games. He's played two, played on Saturday night as well. He's got the taste of the OHL, and he plays a physical brand of hockey, Kyle, and he's only 16. When this guy is 18, when this guy's 19, there's, you don't want to say shades of Tom Wilson, but that's, those are the attributes he has, where he's going to be physical, and he's going to have offense, and he already understands the defensive side, because as he said, he was playing defense right up until the pandemic. So basically in his 15-year-old year, 14-year-old year, year, that's when he made the switch to forward. A player with the ability to both understand the game offensively but not be a liability and actually thrive defensively 
go such a long way for coaches and responsibility and being put out in late game or t- in tight game scenarios where you are a trusted player to go out there and get the job done. Where not only you know that defensively you're going to be fine, but this guy could also create offense going the other way in those situations. That's exactly the type of player that any coaching staff, specifically Dale Hunter, would want within his organization. And I remember, Mike, you said it right off the hop when he was selected in the second round that, you know, this he reminded you a lot of a Tom Wilson type player. And the fact that he's already bringing that physicality and defensive mindset at 16 goes to show what he could be in a year or two, three from now. It's uh, it's very, very exciting stuff. It's also very exciting stuff, Mike, to see that Isaiah George was able to get back into the lineup and play this course of the weekend. He only played a shift earlier on this season. He picked up an assist on Saturday night. He is a very welcome addition back to the blue line that is slowly growing increasingly stronger. So athletic. I think after his first couple of shifts on Friday night, you really noticed one of his greatest abilities, and he, he's got a list of abilities that are an ice sheet long, but one of his greatest abilities is picking up the puck when maybe the Knights are in trouble and just himself getting that puck out of trouble, making one little move around a player and you know one little head fake and he can open up a lane to knock it off the boards and out or even skate it toward the blue line. He just has this uncanny ability when things aren't going right to settle it all down. And wow, what an addition to have. And I'm interested to see how his offense grows because I really think it will this year. Yeah. And and we kind of saw glimpses of it last year, but now being fully healthy, getting back in, getting his legs underneath him, I think is I think he's going to be a great player. He's a fourth uh, round selection of the New York Islanders in the National Hockey League. And if he keeps developing the way that they hope so, he is going to be a, a player. He's definitely got a lot of room to grow to get to that point of his career. But it's he's a very noticeable player when he is on the ice for the London Knights. And kind of perfect timing, Mike, because... Right now, the London Knights do have a couple players that are not in their lineup right now with Sam Dickinson as well as Luca Testa being away at the U-17 tournament right now. Nope, that is right. And if you look at the U-17s, it's starting to get to the end of the round robin. Canada Black is in pretty good shape, and Canada Black has Sam Dickinson of the Knights as their captain. They also have Knights assistant coach Rick Stedman. So they have a game against Team USA, and I don't know if anybody's beating Team USA at this tournament. And they actually have a couple of Knights prospects on their club as well. And we'll see whether or not they wind up coming. They're they're the draft picks that you make and you say, maybe one day this guy gets drafted by an NHL team and they feel the best course of development is major junior hockey. You kind of have to wait on that. But Team USA is stacked and great at this tournament. Remember, Canada splits into three, so it does make it a little bit tougher for them. But Canada Black has a game left against Czechia and Team USA, so they should be okay to get into the semifinals because this goes from seven teams down to four after the round robin. Canada White could be in tough And that's Luca Testa's team. And Canada Red is right now on the bubble. And Londoner Jet Luchenko of the Guelph Storm is on that club. So the next two days are going to spell out whether Canada Red or Canada White can sneak into the semis. It's very, very exciting stuff. And it's nice to see the London Knights being represented quite well at that tournament. 
Um, all right, Mike, I think that's covered everything today for the podcast. Uh, thank you again for listening as always. Follow along Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to stream your podcast at Stubbs980 at Cal Grimard. And I believe Thursday's edition, Mike, we'll talk about upcoming games, upcoming lineups, and a few other news and notes.